Welcome to Colors of Influence. I'm your host, Maylene Hamto. My guest today is Yolanda Chase, founder of Diversity Waymaker, a strategic management consultancy that focuses on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging strategies for global organizations. Yolanda leverages her 30 years of experience in human resource management, implementing diversity and inclusion strategies in Fortune 500 companies. Yolanda has an impressive track record of helping organizations create and support cultures where everyone can thrive when they bring their whole selves to work in environments that provide a sense of belonging. In launching Diversity Waymaker, Yolanda is looking to revolutionize diversity, equity, and inclusion work by helping leaders develop and demonstrate courage in their professional space. Against the backdrop of a vast multicultural racial justice movement, I talked to Yolanda about her vision for equity work that starts with enhancing leadership competencies, ensuring that leaders of top organizations have the adequate skills, training, and above all, courage to bring about real and meaningful change. Full disclosure, most recently, Yolanda and I worked together in a large multinational company, advancing the values of inclusion in human resources operations in the technology and electronics industry. So throughout our conversation, we use the acronym DNI, which is short for diversity and inclusion. As people of color who are advancing equity, inclusion, and diversity work in organizations, how can we take a step back and lean into improving our practices? Welcome, Yolanda, and thanks for granting this interview. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Can we start with discussing the framework for Diversity Waymaker? How is the Diversity Waymaker approach different than other diversity consultancies? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think we're unique in that we focus on uh, the actions and behaviors that drive DEI outcomes. Um, so basically, we get to the core of the value system, um, then create an acceptance model that breaks through organizational politics and embedded cultures. I think that's really the core. Um, thinking of it this way, um, you know, a small or mid-sized organization or perhaps an organization that's a startup or late-stage startup organization, um, we help them design and advance cultures that, that they aspire to have. So that deep-rooted feeling around diversity through the lens of equity and inclusivity um, is really the goal. So it's not just a tech check the box for the organization. It's really a deep-rooted behavioral change and accountability measures that are associated with that. Um, we work to get organizations away from the competency flavor of the month. Because um, I think that not to say that other great competencies that exist or out there present aren't wonderful because they are, but this ushers them into a more sustainable DEI underpinned by a real um, level of soft power and awareness and very much um, kind of platformed and underpinned by, by consciousness. I mean, how we think and we feel uh, our value systems and how we bring that forth in this work to, to be able to ignite change. Um, it's that whole adage around, if you don't possess it yourself, then how are you going to give it to others? And so we believe it begins with the value system, um, your behaviors, and things that um, truly do drive the outcomes for DEI in very complex and difficult environments. I started early career um, with a focus on organizational development, organization development. Um, and I loved the HR effectiveness and the learning spaces so much in organizational development. 
um, that I really felt that I wanted that to be, you know, one of my primary focuses, dealing with, you know, effective processes in HR, effective um, employee experience, um, learning-centric programming, um, things of that nature. Um, I later kind of shifted that a little bit and, and moved into more of a generalist role because I felt like I needed to be a bit more grounded and you know, in a holistic kind of approach to uh, human resources. I landed um, into my, what I would call my sweet spot, uh, which was strategy and business alignment um, within the employee engagement and DNI space. Uh, so, you know, from mid-career on for the bulk, it really was that focus on, you know, how can we make the work life better for employees and all employees? And then from that, really the uh, more targeted focus on, uh, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, within the uh, workforce space. What, what is it about um, sort of the people aspect of human resources that really drew you to the work and also to the work of diversity and inclusion? I think it's something that it exists in people. And I think for me, it, it's always existed in me. It's the way I was brought up. Um, it was everything that my parents taught me about, um, you know, how to treat others and how people should feel. Uh, and that, that, extends beyond uh you know your your day-to-day life and extends into the fact that you don't necessarily leave that feeling uh outside the door when you go to work every day that feeling should exist you know inside work that sense of belonging that sense of being heard that sense of do you understand who i am as an individual and what my needs are specific to um, and more aligned to who I am as an individual. I mean, you don't go into organizations and become a puppet and, and become kind of a clone of everyone else. Uh, so my own growth around what already exists in me, uh, leveraging that, bringing it out, is, is, is the passion. Like we do what our gift is, and I believe that that's, this is what it is. Um, yeah, so that's my purpose. And you've recently um, really leveraged that purpose toward creating something that is uh, really reflective of your of your life's work. Um, so, can you um, talk a little bit about the creation story for Diversity Waymaker? Um, this is one of those things that it, it's almost like the light comes on in your career, where everything that you've experienced in the past, every good scenario good experience ever every not so good experience every challenge and frustration uh ends up telling a story to you that comes to life through the work that you do right so i think that when you have that story and you look back and you reflect on your career and you go here's a common thread like a common theme that i've experienced that i've seen happen and it starts to tell me that story and then from that story I go, that's what's frustrated me all along. And now I understand exactly what it looks like. I understand what it means. Um, and for me, it was not just about the frustration and, and the story being told to me. It was also being at a point in my life where I felt like that's it. There's no progression. I feel like there's limited progression. I mean, we've progressed, right, in, in the DEI space. But we've also kind of stalled a bit. 
And there's a level of frustration, I think, that's happened for practitioners as well. So the story that I was, you know, kind of drawing from was consistent with this theme around what's really happening at the most senior levels in organizations when it comes to the right competency to move DNI efforts forward. Uh, and I was kind of tired of seeing complicit practices, um, you know, that were more of check the box and you know, weren't really true to embracing DNI concepts and practices, um, particularly in the equity space. So again, the story is telling you one thing, your life story is telling you one thing, your frustration is telling you another. And from that, the development of solution has to happen. So that's kind of the birth. And for me, diversity waymaker, this concept of individualism um, that I think is absent um, at the most senior levels of organizations that really model the way to progression in DEI, um, being fearless, being capable um, of, of pushing back on the status quo, being unorthodox, uh, um, you know, the idiosyncratic element, uh, you know, that lends itself to conformity uh, sometimes in, in, in senior leadership that, that can be, um, you know, I think can really prevent um, someone who has the desire and is an enthusiast and, an, and a true practitioner in the space uh, to ignite change. I think it makes it difficult. So that's where the, the idea of diversity waymaker came is this competency that I believe needs to exist um, to be able to truly move the dial towards more uh, equitable and inclusive and diverse workplaces. What characteristics make a diversity waymaker? You know, without getting into the full competency model and spending a lot of time on that, um, there are primary traits that exist. And, and within those soft power traits, they're kind of flanked by um, these real leading traits. So um, if you can imagine in your mind, you've got, you know, who you are as an individual. And if someone asked you, what are the four traits um, that exist in you that help you to really move um, diversity into the right direction and really embrace, help others to embrace the ideas around equity, equality, um, inclusion, belonging, etc. So those are, um, you know, transformational, they're unconventional, um, you must be a norm disruptor and not be fearful of being able to disrupt the norm um, in, in heavily embedded cultures within organizations. You need to be and have, um, you know, a healthy blend of idiosyncratic element or attribute. But really flanking those are this inclusive mindset. So I mentioned earlier about, you know, when you asked me the question about, you know, what made me do this work and, you know, what drew me to it. it and I said to you, it's what was in me all along, right? It's always been in me. And I believe that inclusive mindset is something that already exists. It exists in all of us, but has to be brought to the forefront. And the way that that's brought to the forefront is through what I call this high value vibration that has to come to the surface. So when you think about vibrating from a higher frequency of life and really drawing um, your personal value system, your inclusive mindset, your understanding or desire to, to want to learn more and do more in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion um, is necessary and is a quality and a trait that has to exist. So those are the primary uh, qualities or traits, you know, soft powers that you need to uh, possess 
I believe, in this space um, to negotiate and influence and ignite the kind of change uh, that we absolutely need to embrace and have right now. I know the language that you use for diversity waymaker is very different than than like just the common status quo business language, and it's I know it's very intentional from your point of view. And so, if you could speak a little bit about that, you know, I'm a believer in being upfront and open and honest about what my intentions are and how I bring that to the table. Um, you know, speaking to a CEO or venture capitalist or, you know, a head of a, you know, community organization uh, and, and sitting down and saying, um, you know, having the very clear and transparent conversation around this is the reason why I developed this concept. Um, here are the foundational pieces of this concept. This is the expectation of, of what the outcomes look like, not just from a um, you know, from tangible transactional outcomes, but from feelings, you know, uh, uh, experience, um, how people show up. And that has to be accepted. So it begins, like anything else, with the conversation. And the conversation is, if, if this is making you uncomfortable, that is wonderful. Because if you are comfortable, completely 100% comfortable, then you are not challenging what the, the real status quo is out there, right? Whether it be in your organization or in other environments. Um, so it begins with the conversation of this is the true intention of this competency model um, that you are asking about and are interested in incorporating into your environment. Now, here are the things that are going to have to happen for your environment to embrace it. And that conversation is a tough one. You're going to have to think outside of the box. If you have racist ideas, if you have feelings about, um, you know, what does it mean to be a person of color and, and, and whether or not it's right or wrong for them to be suppressed or whether or not there's value in, in organizations to talk about race or whether or not you should have equity in your systems or look through your systems in your organization to determine if there are inequities and fix them. If you're not willing to do that, and if that conversation doesn't make you feel itchy and uncomfortable, then you definitely aren't ready to move forward. You have to feel uncomfortable. And with that feeling of, of being uncomfortable, be willing to go, but I'm wanting to, I want to take it on. I'm willing to take this on. And I accept that it's going to be even further um, uncomfortable for me in the process. Um, but it's the right thing. And it is something that I think will help our organization because what we've been doing previously has not been working. Or maybe it isn't enough, right? So tough conversation up front and acceptance to being uncomfortable. If we can talk a little bit about how does your cultural background influence your work? How do you bring your full cultural self to the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, I, you know, being a multi you know, racially ethnic <laughs> individual, um, you know, that, that is my background. That is my, my cultural attribute. Um, it is who I am. So having that lens, I think is helpful. I'm not saying that, you know, that white people can't draw from, uh, you know, an understanding of, you know, cultural, racial ethnicity um, and, and ethnicity to be able to, to bring forth ideas around inclusion and diversity or what might help in this space. 
But I do think that the benefit for me is that it exists. Um, I lean into it. I embrace it. I identify with it. And that has helped me, uh, you know, to, to kind of look at things from a, a variety of perspectives. And my children are, you know, multiracial. Um, and so th that's a constant, um, uh, you know, uh, kind of feeling in our family around who we are and an acknowledgement of who we are. So I draw that into my work. I draw, and, and, you know, in terms of perspective and really being able to say, you know, this might be the African-American or the black perspective or the melanated perspective. Uh, what about the Caucasian perspective? Um, what about the um, Afro-Latino Latinx perspective, um, you know, knowing that we have family members that are LGBTQ plus and, and understanding their perspective as well and being able to have those healthy conversations about their challenges and their plights and difficulties. Uh, so I think it's always helpful when you have, when you're surrounded by uh, you know, this level of day-to-day -day diversity you know, and those qualities, uh, I think it helps you and, and, it, and it basically um, informs the work that I do. So in doing the work of advocating for um, diversity, equity, and inclusion in, in large uh, organizations, how are you able to maintain your values, integrity, and your dignity in, in terms of doing the work and moving it forward? You know, I think that at, at some point in our in our careers, very very honestly and transparently, we you know we question um, you know did you sacrifice your values? Uh, that's one of the biggest challenges I think that we face in today's world, in the midst of politics and society and corporate you know the corporate corporate constructs. Uh, that we're trying to do our best work in. So I would hope that that I didn't, um, you know, give up my values in order to do great work. But what I have done and really worked hard on is ensuring that I was um, operating from a higher consciousness, right? And and that means what's my purpose? Being very self-aware, um, not just of who I am, but what who others are. Right, whether people, what other people are thinking and doing, um, and really trying to create the meaningful experiences for me, where you know, kind of my personal values lead. I would never want to sacrifice, you know, my personal truths, and I say that, which is to me the same as values, but it's true to me and real. And I believe that when you don't sacrifice your personal values, your personal truths. I, you know, I, I think integrity and dignity naturally manifest. People are always going to see you as someone who has um, integrity and credibility. Um, your dignity shines, your confidence shines when you do that. Um, and the minute that you don't operate, from a place of higher consciousness and purpose and self-awareness, people will automatically call you insecure and they will question your ability to be able to drive any effort um, fearlessly. 
And can you talk a little bit more about the higher consciousness and how you're able to maintain that? Uh, your life and your work life has been so busy, right? <laughs> oh and, and what are some like personal strategies that you cultivate or you've learned to cultivate throughout the years to make sure that you are at that higher consciousness? Tons of reading. Um, grounding myself in concepts. Uh, I am an avid um, reader and, and, and lover of, of Deepak Chopra. Um, I believe in, you know, the higher self, um, you know, guidance that he provides. Uh, I do strong, um, you know, strong meditation practice. And I really lean into anything that helps me to develop myself from a self-awareness standpoint, living in the moment, um, taking time to, you know, do breath work and reading up on what does higher consciousness really mean. And it's a spiritual level and it exists in everyone. It's just a matter of whether or not you, like I said before, that you actually turn it on. Um, so it's not easy. And, and there are days that, you know, that my lower self is a little bit more prevailing. And I think that that's a part of being a human. So it's every single day um, saying to yourself, rise above things, think from your higher self, um, be more self-aware, um, tap into literature or, you know, books that you can read, information uh, around higher consciousness. and and be willing to adopt those methodologies um, and be willing to understand how it can change your life and let that change just enter. So that's what I do. And I, that's what I have to do. We can fall victim to a lot of negativity, um, especially during these times of, of, you know, social unrest and political unrest and divisiveness and, things that are happening right now, it's very quickly for us to just immediately lean into our ideologies and, and, and if someone questions those, we go into our lower self as opposed to um, leaning into the higher consciousness in our higher self, understanding what others are saying, even if it feels uncomfortable and wrong sometimes. Uh, but being able to accept that that exists and using that energy and power to further influence and explain why it's so important to have a more inclusive mindset. You mentioned the political unrest, the social unrest that's happening, um, you know, particularly, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, it, it seems that we have been, you know, through this um, situation before and, and, you know, people are calling for real change, for real accountability. Um, in the midst of all that, Yolanda, what gives you hope in continuing to do this work? Uh, one of my favorite quotes um, is one from Maya Angelou when she said, um, fear and hope can't occupy the same space. Uh, I choose hope. There are humans <laughs> on this earth that hold a higher consciousness trait. Um, and they believe in equality and they believe that it's essential. They can pick through uh, what might feel a, a bit of a brush against their personal truths, but they can find the truth in what's being said. So that gives me hope. 
that there are individuals that are willing to do their humans that are willing to do that. Black Lives Matter is getting a lot of criticism right now, as you know, it's getting a lot of adoption and acceptance, but it's also getting criticism by those that say, oh, their founders are Marxists. And, and people, a lot of people don't understand what Marxism is. <laughs> you know, what does that truly mean in the context that it's being, um, uh, you know, talked about by the, uh, the original leaders of, of, of Black Lives Matter. So not lean, trying to lean into the understanding of what they're trying to get at, given the challenges and the suppression of melanated people and indigenous people over time. So there's no, uh, you know, there's no feeling by some or tendency by some to, to lean into the understanding of what are they really trying to say here? it's automatically this feeling of you're trying to overthrow the government, you're trying to overthrow, you know, the republic, you, you know, and, and that's very frustrating. So it falls upon, you know, those of us who are lovers, doers, enthusiasts, experts, etc., in the space to be able to help people understand what the difference is and to peel back the layers on, um, you know, certain vernacular that's being used right now that may feel threatening to any racial, uh, any race or group. Right. Um, that gives me hope that as long as there are people on this earth like you and I and others who are willing to do that um, in the face of, of resistance, because the resistance is profound, uh, that we have to you know, keep moving forward. This is what we're on this planet to do. Um, if I'm operating from a place of fear, then the DEI work I'm doing will never birth fearless and profound change. And anyone who's ever worked and operated in this space, um, whether it was Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or, you know, anyone who, who has in the past in our history, um, they fearlessly um, moved towards solutions and ignited change and therefore got the change. And, and I believe that that's, that's what gives me hope and promise. And we just have to consistently remember that as we do this work. What advice would you have, or do you have at this moment, for people uh, who are diversity and inclusion practitioners in how best to you know, integrate the focus of racial justice in their everyday work, um, whether or not they're attached to organizations or maybe serving as consultants, etc.? I think that they need to be educated on it. Um, if they aren't already. I mean, that's assuming that they're not. But if you're talking about integrating a concept that is not a, um, your average concept in an organization that, that isn't about humanities, it isn't about social justice, that isn't working in that area or actually having a product or service in that area, then it's really critical that education occur. And there are you know, plenty of platforms, there's books, there, there are few um, organizations now that are are actually teaching um, sulti, uh, excuse me, social justice and anti-racism. Uh, and I think that it's important that you understand what that means because the concepts um, that you want to implement into your organization have to be well articulated and understood, right? Yeah. So my recommendation is always further educate yourself on these concepts um, that you're planning on implementing and the foundation um, of those concepts, meaning 
you know, whether it's, it's really truly understanding what Black Lives Matter means or if it truly means understanding what being an anti-racist means, white fragility, any of those kinds of things that I think are hot topics right now um, that people are trying to lean into the understanding of. What's the best advice you ever received? I remember very distinctly, my father passed away a few years ago and he and I were extremely connected. Um, it was really difficult for me because he was a, a big disciplinarian and, you know, really strict and believed in, you know, you, you get on with a company and you stay with a company and you, you know, he had been with IRS for 30, 30 some odd years before he passed. And he came from that belief system, that core belief. And so it was probably um, close to mid-career for me. Um, I was leaving the government and wanting to uh, kind of venture out into consulting. I was young and I went to him and said, you know, I think I want to do some consulting. And he 100% supported it. And I was so shocked because of the fact that he, you know, he was all about staying with, you know, getting with a big company and staying, getting benefits and doing all these things. And I had two young children at the time. But the one piece of advice that he gave me um, during that time and, and just after that conversation, he was diagnosed with medullary thyroid carcinoma cancer. Um, he said to me, if you're going to pursue this, there's one of the things I want you to remember to always rely on your own cognizance. And I didn't quite understand what that meant. Um, but he kind of alluded to this idea of be conscious and sensible. Um, and I know that I've mentioned before when I've had interviews, I talk about the story of, you know, that, that gets told to me through the experiences that I've had in the awareness. And that's truly what he was talking about. Um, really lends itself to that kind of vigilance in observing and drawing inferences from your own lived experiences. And a lot of that I pulled into this diversity waymaker concept as well. I also remember Deepak Chopra saying, um, the purpose of being born is to discover who you are and why you are here. When, you, when your experience is limited, then your vision will be limited. When your vision is limited, life holds few possibilities or opportunities for renewal. So a combination of, you know, my dad saying, rely on your own, you know, really rely on your cognizance, your consciousness, your ability to be able to live through the stories that your life is telling you. And the benefit of that lived experience um, when you are pushing that out to others, when you are helping others come along, really use that as a tool. That was the best advice uh, that I've ever gotten and have been able to actually apply it throughout and reflect on it um, as I built this concept. Thank you, Yolanda, for sharing your stories of finding purpose and meaning in your work and also your passion for creating more equitable workplaces. Our time together is coming to a close. Do you have any last words for our listeners? I'm a strong believer in the diversity waymaker concept, not just as my vision and view on what I think it's going to take, but um, in my spirit and, and based upon my 30 years of observation uh, as the story is played out in my life, um, 
your, our, our ability to be able to influence at a higher level um, is really going to be reliant upon um, pulling forth our traits and competencies in this area um, that are unique to what I think normal organizational environments hold. Um, it's going to have to look different and feel different and CEOs and heads of companies and communities are gonna to have to be open to embracing uh, this new concept so that they can truly make a difference. Thank you for tuning in. My guest was Yolanda Chase, founder of Diversity Waymaker. Follow us on Instagram at Colors of Influence and on Twitter, Colors Influence. Email your ideas for future topics and guests to pod at colorsofinfluence.com. Support is provided by House of Pod and the Amped Women of Color Podcast Incubator.